The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Who in here loves Christmas? Yeah, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the lights, and I like, sometimes it gets cold, and, uh, you know, all that stuff, the movies on TV, you know. At our house, we have this tradition, like starting Christmas Eve all the way through today, the Christmas story, you know, the one with Ralphie, and he shoots his eye out with his BB gun, it stays on the TV, and uh, I love, I love everything about it. I love not only, you know, the Christmas atmosphere, but I love the message, right? Uh, we just talked about it this morning in our class, how, you know, if Jesus wasn't born in a manger, if he hadn't come to be born then he couldn't have died and atoned for our sins. And I love that message, that God had a plan for you, God had a plan for me, and that plan was Jesus, and he foretold that plan in Genesis chapter 3. He had it from the beginning, right? Jesus was going to come, and he was going to be the hope for the world. And I really enjoyed Daniel's uh, Pastor Daniel's uh, Advent series, right? I've never really done an Advent series or, or been a part of kind of any church really that did one, but I, I get what it's about. And, and, and the idea of looking forward to Christ and who he would be for the world, for the hope of mankind, really excites me, right? And so I love, love, love that, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so uh, I kind of, as we were kind of going through the Advent series, I started thinking about hope right? The idea of hope, like what is hope? What is hope all about? So I want to talk about that this morning. And I looked up the definition uh, on the Google, and it says, hope, uh, this is the definition Google gave me, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to to happen. Now, I think it's interesting because this definition of hope can mean different things for different people, right? Uh, You can hope for something to happen as the world sees it, and then it never come to fruition. You can have this hope, but it doesn't really mean anything concrete or secure. But that's not the way with Jesus, right? That's what Christmas is all about. It's about hope. That's what the season is all about, about hope. And so, uh, you know, that's what I love about it. Now, guys, if you're anything like me, you have a wife who loves to watch these Hallmark movies at Christmas time, right? And uh, and I'll walk in the room, the Hallmark movies on, I'll walk right out. But uh but it's it's the same plot. It's the same movie. They show 15 different ones, and the Cameron, what's her name? Candace Cameron Bray. She's in all of them, and then and they all do the same thing, right? There's a a girl from the city. She gets lost in a small town. She's engaged to somebody in the big city. She meets a guy in the small town, and voila, she's not engaged to the right person because she falls in love with this other guy. That's the premise. If you've never watched a Hallmark Christmas movie, there you go. That's what it's about. Um, and it's all wrapped around or revolves around the hope of finding love for Christmas, right? Because the holiday season is supposed to be about hope. Now, 
That's a misguided view of what hope is. I, I hope you understand that this morning. That, that, that No pun intended. That there's a misguided view of what hope is. However, not everybody feels this way around the holidays or around Christmas time. And I think it's because consumers have made this holiday about doing, outdoing the gifts from last year or spending money on Christmas presents. Uh, Americans spend an estimated $465 billion on Christmas each year. You and I contributed to that yesterday. $465 billion. And... There are countless people who claim that this time of the year is the most stressful for them. A survey showed that 45% of people wish they could skip the holidays due to stress. Now, one of the reasons I believe this is the case is because of where people's hope lies. Think about that for a second. People spend all this time and energy on the wrong hope for what Christmas should be about. And because that hope has no substance or no grounding in anything good, it's a letdown. And there are people who say, Christmas, I'd rather just skip Christmas because there's too much stress involved. And that's not what it's about. It's about hope. And when you think about hope, again, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. You can fit several examples into that definition, right? For instance, people place their hope in certain different things. Would you agree? Uh, people place their hope in relationships or other people for that matter, thinking this guy or this gal or this wife or this next husband is going to be what, what I really need to fulfill me, and so I hope this next relationship is better than the last one. And so they put all their marbles in that basket of this hope around this relationship, and, and, and they go with that. And so you can put your hope in relationships. People put their hope in money, right? Have you ever heard somebody say, I really want to have a million dollars when I retire? Uh, I've heard people, I've heard that come out of people's mouths. I really hope to have X amount of money when I retire. This is the number I'm shooting for. They are putting their hopes and their expectation that once they get to this number, they can relax and everything will be okay. Uh, if you know anything about the stock market, that's not always the case, right? It could happen just like in the 20s, and then, boof, there goes all your hope. Career, right? People put their hopes in career. If I land this promotion, if I work my way up to this ladder, this corporate ladder, and I get to this place, then I can find fulfillment through my career. And so I hope the bosses see what I'm doing. I hope I can work hard enough to, to really make it stick because that's what's going to bring me fulfillment is who I am in my position in my career. Or this one's the worst, government, right? People put their hope in government, okay? I can't tell you how many times in the last 20 years I've seen bumper stickers and flags and hats and all this stuff. And you know what? Either side, all of it's going to get better with this person. 
uh, or, or the, the hope for the world is America or, or the American idea or the American dream. And if we just get the right guy or lady or whoever in the right position, things are going to get better. I got a news flash for you. Nothing's ever going to get better because this world is going to end up being burned and then created anew. That's what God's going to do. So you can kiss that goodbye. There is no hope in government. There's no hope in a government entity. There's no hope in a government person. There's no hope in people. There's no hope in relationships. There's no hope in careers. That is the wrong place to put your hope in. The majority of people would fit into one of these four categories into where they put their hope in. Placing their hope in things that pertain to this world rather than the one who created the world and everything in it. And as I was thinking about this idea of hope, I thought about what hope means for those who have surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it should look different. Would you agree with me on that this morning? If you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should not be able to fit into one of those four categories. It should be totally different for you because you're a Christian. As Christ followers, what should our hope look like? And in what things should we place our hope in. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right there in front of you. Go ahead and use that one. Um, Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, period, take that one home with you. That's our gift to you. You can have that one. Take it home. Read it. And, uh, and, it's, and it's our gift to you. So Romans chapter 5. I'm going to be reading out of the CSB this morning. And I usually don't say that because it's a given because that's just kind of what we use. But I kind of have to caveat that this morning because I'm going to be going back and forth to a couple different versions on purpose. So uh, I'm in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through verse 5. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now that is Christmas, right? That's, that's, that's really good to hear. And before we get too deep into this text, I kind of want to give you a little fair warning, okay? Today's sermon will be a good news, bad news type, type sermon, all right? It's the first time I'm attempting this, so if it falls flat, just tell me I did good and everything will be all right. Good news, bad news scenario here, and we'll start with the good news, okay? We'll start with the good news first. Number one, hope does not disappoint. Now, we're shifting gears here, and we're talking about true hope, okay? Not hope and all that other junk we talked about, but real hope, true hope, hope in Jesus Christ is a hope that does not disappoint. The hope we should have as Christians is not only Christ-centered, but also a result of the love that God has placed in our hearts. Um, Now, uh, I'm going to do this thing that I do sometimes when I teach, uh, and I'm going to go backwards, okay? Uh, And just hang with me, 
We'll start from verse 5 and work our way back to verse 1 on purpose, okay? It's not heretical. We're still going to be within context, but just hang with me, okay? Verse 5. Let's start from the, from, from the end and work our way back. Verse 5. Paul says, This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God, in his great love for us, gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then activates God's love to us, through us, right? Because you, you can't have the love part without the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. God's Holy Spirit activates the love of God through us. And we cannot know true love until we have the love of God that are, is in our hearts that he places there. Okay, that's what scripture says. Look at 1 John verse 4, 18 through 19. 1 John 4, 18 through 19, he says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. So in other words, we can't, we can't have that true love or the hope that comes along with it without the Holy Spirit because it was God who first had the idea God is love, God's nature, his attributes is love. And once we have the Holy Spirit, then we receive that love that God has given us and we can then produce it. But did you catch the first part of that passage? It says, there is no fear in love. Why would he say that? That there is no fear in love. Look at the first part of Romans 5.5, 5, right? This hope will not disappoint us. This hope will not disappoint us. There's no fear in love. True hope, the hope only found through Jesus Christ, is a hope that does not disappoint, and it is one that is not motivated by fear. Okay, now think about that for a second. A hope, you can have hope motivated by fear, right? That if you're in this situation that you fear, you hope you will get out of. Well, the true hope is not motivated by fear, nor does it disappoint. Think on all the ways we just looked at when pe that people place their hope in. Will it disappoint? Will relationships disappoint you? Ten times out of ten, it will disappoint you. Because if you're placing your hope in it, then, that's, then it's going to disappoint because that's not where hope comes from. Will money disappoint you or the lack thereof? <laughs> right? Every time. Okay? Because you can't buy love. You can buy a lot of things with it, but you can't buy love. That was supposed to be funnier than it is because I can buy a lot of things that I love with money, but that's not where love comes from. Okay? Career... Okay, career will disappoint you because when you don't get that position, when you're not in the place where you really wanted to be, or uh, have you ever been in a situation where you're supposed to make manager, supervisor, whatever, and then the guy's cousin who comes in, he's the one that makes manager, supervisor, whatever, you've been working there 10 years, and you know it'll always disappoint you. Government, <laughs> that's without a doubt, government will disappoint you uh, 10 times out of 10. So each and every one of these things will disappoint you, and in fact... They will disappoint you more often than not. They will always disappoint you. If you place your hope and your trust and your faith in anything other than where your hope is supposed to be, you will be sadly disappointed 10 
times out of 10. And it's because neither relationships, nor government, nor money, nor any of these things are what we're supposed to be living for, okay? Think on that for a second, that if you're living this life here on earth, the time you have, whether that's 80 years, 70 years, 90 years, hopefully, uh, you know, whatever time you have on this earth, if you're living it for those things, then they are going to disappoint you because that's not what your life was meant to be lived for. You were created by God in his image to glorify him. That's what you should be living for. If it's for anything else, then you're sorely going to be disappointed. So this, this hope, I'm sorry, when we place a misguided focus on what is ultimately not meant for us to be focused on, then disappointment and fear is naturally what we can expect. It's naturally what we can expect because that's what comes out of it. So this hope is not a standalone hope. It doesn't just appear out of thin air. It comes along with the Holy Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit given to us when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. So are you kind of catching where this is going? Like if, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, it's because you have surrendered your life to Jesus, and that's when these things are available to you. True hope does not disappoint because God does not disappoint. Did you know in the entire Bible, every promise that God has ever made was fulfilled? Every one. Now, there's some still future ones that have yet to be seen, but, you know, if he's 10 out of 10 or 100 out of 100 or whatever the number is, then that means he's trustworthy. That means God does not disappoint. Man will disappoint you, absolutely, but God never will. That brings us to number two. Hope never fears. Hope never fears. Now, I get that uh, the verse didn't say fear. We had to go to 1 John to see where it said fear, but I'm going to put it together here. Uh, look at verse 3 and 4. Remember, we're going backwards. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. I often uh, have trouble when I come to passages like this one, uh, when it's talking about affliction and persecution and things like that, because in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, you know, here in America, I don't think we fully grasp the idea of affliction and persecution, okay? And uh, there's people all around the world right now who literally have to, they can't do this right here, Okay. They can't put up a Christmas tree. They can't celebrate that. There's none of that that they can do across the world, okay? You go to places like South Sudan. You go to places like China, North Korea. You can't talk about Jesus. You can't preach. Uh, they have to have church underground. They literally have to go underground to have church because if they get busted, uh, they, they go to jail. And so I have a hard time sometimes when I come to passages like this because how can we relate, right? I cannot relate to somebody who, if they preach like I'm doing now, is in fear of their very lives. It's just hard to relate to that. So we need to remember the context when we're reading this book, the book of Romans, uh, that they're enduring persecution and trouble for them would only ramp up from there, right? That Paul writes to the church in Rome, 
oh, I'm going to butcher this, probably somewhere around 62, 65 A.D., Maybe might have been earlier than that. And there's some persecution ramping up mostly by the Jews. But what will follow that is horrible persecution in Rome. It will be horrible. For the next 300 years, there's going to come along emperors who will uh, make decrees that it will outlaw Christianity and they'll throw Christians literally into uh, the arena with lions. And, you know, you've heard it all. And so Paul's writing them saying, these afflictions... These afflictions that you are about to endure will bring about hope. So as Paul pins this letter, he fully understands what afflictions they will have to endure because Paul has already endured some of that himself. He's speaking from personal experience. Now, I did a little word study on this word boast here, okay? And it wasn't very extensive and I couldn't pronounce the name if I tried of the Greek word of boast. I would butcher it, so I'm not even going to try it. But I, what I found was very interesting. Now, remember, I'm reading in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and it says boast here. Now, you might have a different version that might say rejoice or celebrate. Do some of you have that? I know the NASB, uh, the New King James, uh, the ESV might say something different than boast. Uh, but I really like the word boast here okay i really like this because paul would use this word in other writings of his and he would use it in the same reference as what he's talking about here boasting in our afflictions right that i like this word and the other ones aren't bad i just i like the way this one relates better okay look at second thessalonians 1 uh, 3 and 4 and paul would use that word again here first first uh, sorry second thessalonians 1 3 through 4 says, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you amongst God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all persecution and afflictions that you are enduring. So Paul's writing this second letter to the church at Thessalonica, and he's telling them, hey, when we go about in the circles we run in and we start talking about different churches, we boast about the church in Thessalonica. We boast about y'all. How much of an honor would that be, right? That if you are a church that was established probably by Paul, Paul left, and he, when he revisits you, he sees you doing all the right things. And then when he goes to visit other churches, he says things like, oh, you should see Thessalonica because, man, what they are doing over there is great, right? Uh, that's an honor, I would think, to have Paul, probably the single greatest Christian to ever live, uh, talk about your church in that way. You must have been doing something right. And so this word boast is really neat, right? This boasting is similar to being proud of or having pride in something. It's also used in a negative connotation, right? Being proud can be negative at times. And Paul says this, right, uh, in his other writings that uh, it's in a negative connotation when it's talking about salvation, Right? Salvation is not of our own, lest no man can boast. In other words, if I could do something to earn salvation, I could take pride in that and I could boast. But he says, salvation doesn't belong to you. Salvation is of the Lord. You did nothing to earn salvation, and so you can't boast. It's a free gift. Uh, and boasting would be wrong in that situation, but it's not always wrong. 
He says, we boast and we talk about you. So this sense of pride or being proud for enduring affliction while rejoicing was common in the early church. Did you know that? Right now we look at it, and, and if, if we're honest this morning, if we're completely honest and fully transparent, we would not welcome persecution or affliction today. Is that, is that a true statement, would you say? That if I told you, hey, there's an opportunity tomorrow for us to go preach, and then that's going to set a, a fire, man, and we're going to be persecuted. And the cops are going to come to our house, and they're going to possibly, you know, you know, take our children from us, and they're going to kill our wives in front of us, but let's go do it, you know? <laughs> I probably wouldn't have as many volunteers as I had to ride in the Christmas parade, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I would have some. But the point being is, it's not something we welcome, right? We're comfortable here. We're comfortable in our air-conditioned, in Christmas time, which is weird, we're Texas, in our air-conditioned sanctuary here, learning about the Word of God and not having a care in the world about anybody running through those doors to arrest us. We're comfortable with that. But in the early days, when the church first started, that wasn't what it was about. It was all about persecution and affliction, and they welcomed it right? They were proud to go through those things for the sake of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 41. It says, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak of the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. This is a little context here. The apostles had been preaching throughout all Jerusalem, and they were constantly being put in jail. They were flogged. Now, we just kind of read past that like a you know eight-year-old who was spanked by his father. <laughs> that was not flogging, okay? Flogging was probably done with this huge, long pole, and you were naked. And as they would hit you with it, it would leave these huge red welts. You probably couldn't walk very well the next day, and your back would hurt. Think on that context, and they're enduring this affliction. And what does it say they do? It said they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. This is the kind of same word, rejoice, boast, uh, being proud of. They were proud that they could withstand this persecution and continue to preach the name of Jesus. And they continued to do it all the way until, you know, uh, like... 10 out of the 11 or 9 out of the 10 were all martyred other than John. And, and all the way up until their actual death, they tried to kill them several times. Some of them were left very badly uh, injured for the rest of their lives, like Paul. Uh, and yet they continued to do it, and they rejoiced in it. They rejoiced because hope has no fear. Okay, I can understand somebody being afraid of persecution and being afraid of that affliction. But when you have the hope that comes with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, there is no fear in that hope. It's because of what comes next, right? Because Peter, Paul, John, Matthew, uh, you know, all of them, Andrew, Bartholomew, Judas, the one that didn't kill himself, all these guys who were apostles, they, hey, they knew that if they died in that moment of persecution, what was going to receive them in the next life was Jesus with arms wide open. That is the hope that they had placed their lives in, and there is no fear in that hope. 
We shouldn't fear death. We shouldn't fear death through persecution or affliction because of what comes next, right? This life is fleeting. It's going to be over. But what comes next is what we put our hope in. So again, hope does not fear, but boasts in the face of afflictions. When Christians endure suffering for any reason, whether by the hands of others or just life circumstances, there is an assurance there, a security that is higher than our own understanding. I don't understand it. I couldn't understand it if I tried on why this hope makes people so bold through the Holy Spirit, but it does, right? It does. There's countless testimonies of people who have been persecuted and who have walked to the gallows on their own to be killed and martyred for Jesus Christ, and they had this hope and this expectation that what they were doing was the right thing. This, this, that's, that's not understandable, okay? It, it's without understanding that that would be the hope, but that's what hope is. When we know that our destiny and our purpose has been established and secured by God himself, then our hope can be fearless, and it will look different than those who hope in empty things or people. Because I walk into the gallows for no relationship or for no amount of money because I can't take it with me when I go. I'm not walking to the gallows because the Republican Party told me so or the or whatever party you follow, the Democratic Party or the Libertarian, I don't care. I'm not going to the gallows for them. There's no hope in that. That's meaningless. It's futile, the Bible would say. Justin Martyr uh, is one of my favorite people uh, he's, he was an early, early apologist, probably second century uh, apologist, and uh, he has some really good writings. It's A lot of it's kind of boring, but he's, he really formulates his apologetic defense in a really good way super early on. Uh, he was beheaded due to his faith, but his last words were quoted as this. He says, I ask nothing more than to suffer for the cause of my Lord Jesus Christ. If I can do this, then I can stand in confidence and quiet before the judgment seat of my God and Savior when in accordance with his will, this world passes away. Listen, if I can do the things and have the hope in Jesus Christ that I'm supposed to have here on this earth, then I can come to the throne room with confidence when that day comes. Right? Because I placed my hope in what it was actually supposed to be placed in. That when I'm face to face with Jesus on judgment day, I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have nothing to fear because he didn't disappoint me. That's why I didn't have anything to fear. So real hope, hope in Jesus Christ is a hope that never fears. It is a hope that never fears because it is grounded in Jesus Christ who will never let us down or ever disappoint us. Last point here, point number three, is hope everlasting. Did you know this morning that this life is not it? Yeah, when, there, when somebody's having my funeral someday, that won't be it for Julian. It'll be on to the next. It'll be on to the afterlife for eternity. And that will be a hope everlasting. Now we got back here to verse 1 and 2 because we're going backwards. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there's a lot to unpack here in these two verses. We don't really have that much time. So I'm just going to take a more aerial view of what Paul is trying to say here. But Paul has just finished explaining in Romans chapter 4 how faith, uh, justification is by faith through Jesus Christ, right? Just like Abraham. That Abraham was counted to him righteousness because of his faith, it says. And so he was justified <clears throat> by faith. Again, not that this is any doing of our own so that no man can boast. God in his mercy extended salvation through Jesus by faith. And through faith we have been justified. Now, um, just hang with me for a moment and we'll tie this right back together with the hope that we've been talking about. Paul says that we've been justified by faith. Now, what does it mean to be justified? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. The word justified means or meant is meant pronounced or treated as righteous. Pronounced or treated as righteous. Now, to break this down a little further, what does it mean to be righteous? Does anybody know what it means to be righteous? Well, to be righteous is to be found in the right standing with God. Okay? That's what it means to be righteous, to be found in the right standing with God. <clears throat> in other words, if you are righteous, if you are a righteous person, and you go before God, then you can say to God, look at my righteousness, and it will be enough to satisfy God because you will be in right standing with God if you had righteousness. Now, this is impossible. Why is it impossible? Well, because the Bible says so. God, Paul had just said this previously in, uh, in, uh, in, sorry, in Romans chapter 3. It is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So we, there's no way without Jesus Christ can we ever come to God and say, I am righteous on my own. This is kind of what the legalists Judaism was doing in that day, right? They were saying, I've followed X, Y, Z amount of laws, and because of those laws that I've followed, I myself am righteous. And Jesus came and flipped the script. He said, no, 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 no. You can't follow the law because if you wanted to be found righteous by the law, you've got to follow all of them. It's got to be all, you know, 635 or whatever it is. And, and, if, it's, and if you break one just once, then you nullify, done, you, you can't. And so you cannot be righteous on your own. No amount of good works, no amount of charity, no amount of anything can make you in the right standing before God. So this brings it back to justification. If we are not righteous, nor can we attain righteousness on our own, then there must be a process to pronounce us righteous. That process is justification. Because we are guilty, okay? Let me just kind of explain the scenario of justification. I'm guilty. I come before the judge and I say, hey, judge, I'm guilty. There's blood on my hands. I did it. Uh, but I want to be set free. And the judge is like, well, that's not quite how it works. You know, there's got to be a penalty paid for this blood on your hands. Uh, and, and justification is Jesus coming in, God sending Jesus to say, we'll pay the debt for that blood and set this guy free. Am I still guilty? Yeah, 
I'm still guilty. I don't deserve it. I did nothing to attain this righteous standing before God. But through Jesus, Jesus comes and imputes his righteousness on us. So therefore, then we are justified by God. How amazing is that? And Paul says this all happens through faith. We, through faith, are justified, although we are guilty and have no defense whatsoever. But God, through Jesus Christ, pronounces us righteous. So because we are justified by faith, Paul would say, then he goes on. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God and we can boast and rejoice or celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. Listen, listen to this part this morning because in my opinion, this is the most important part right here. You and I can have peace with God, we can have access with God, and we can be sure of the hope of the glory of God because of Jesus. Solely because of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of religions out there who will say, oh, there's many ways to heaven, there's many ways to God. It's one big mountain, however you can get up the mountain, get up the mountain. But that's not the way this whole thing works. That's not the way Jesus set it up to work. Jesus says, it's only through me where no one can get to the Father but through me. And God says, I've given you this remedy. There's only one way out, and that way is Jesus. And that's the only way you and I can ever receive hope is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way it was set up. You notice how different this is from the things that we first mentioned. Can, can relationships do that for you? No. No relationship other than the one with Jesus Christ can ever get you in right standing with God. No amount of money can ever get you in right standing with God, no matter how much of it you have. No government, no religion, nothing can get you to the place to where Jesus has done the work and God accepts that work other than through Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have placed ourselves in. None of these things can give us peace or justify us. Having hope in these things is futile, the Bible says, worthless and meaningless because none of these things can save us from the sin problem, which is really the problem deep down. It's sin. Look at what 1 Peter 1, 8 and 19 says. I'm sorry, 1, 18 through 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Peter says it right there. It's not through gold or silver that you're able to attain righteousness. It's solely through the blood of Jesus. That is justification by faith through Jesus, right there. That's a good hope, is it not? This is something to be excited about this morning, that if you have been justified by faith through Jesus, then you have nothing to worry about. You have been sealed for eternity. That's something to be excited about. We don't have to worry anymore about anything. Did you know that's what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, that you, that you don't have to worry, that actually worrying is a sin? That if we worry about any life circumstances or anything coming next, that that is a sin. Why? Because he says, you can't even, you can't add no stature to your height by worrying. 
Let tomorrow come. And whatever happens tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow because you can't control that. Let tomorrow take, take care of itself. When we worry, we take God's hand off of the wheel and we try to steer the ship. I loved Daniel's uh, analogy that he stole from somebody else, by the way, about the pilot, you know, like flying the airplane. And, and, uh, and you never say when there's turbulence, oh, you know what, let me go take care of this because I'm, I'm a little worried here. I think I can do a better job. No, <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Not even if you have like one of those tightly prop uh, plane licenses, you wouldn't do that. Not, you know, 30,000 feet in the air. with the, Anyways, so, so by you worrying, you're saying, God, I, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And that's the beauty of this hope right here, is that, that, that we live in this victorious state of, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry because what my hope is in, I know is bigger than the thing I worry about, right? You, you no need to worry any longer. This is a victory that you can live in. Listen, I understand that the charismatics have kind of hijacked the whole victory phrase, living in, in victory, um, you know, but, but this is the victorious living. Having hope that is assured and promised by God himself is victorious living. You can live in that victory, I promise you, because it's been promised to you by God. Look at 1 John 5, 4, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. You know why we can live in that victory? Because of the work that Jesus did. Not because of what we did, remember, so that no man can boast. But if we are found in Christ Jesus, then we boast in that glory. That's what Paul just said, that because of justification through faith in Jesus, we then can boast in glory, and through that boasting in glory, we have hope that is above all other hope. That's amazing. That, that means that things should look brighter from you for you from that point on. That no circumstance that happens in this world should ever be able to make you feel blue because of the hope that is in you that Jesus has already promised to come. How amazing would it be to actually kind of live in that moment of you don't know if you're going to die for preaching the word of God, but you're going to do it anyways, right? You don't know if the next day you're going to be flogged for preaching the word of God, but you're going to do it anyways. To me, that seems like it would it would have this much more a uh, much more awesome experience to say, I know what's coming, but because of the hope I have in Jesus Christ, I'm going to do it anyways, because that's what I've been commissioned to do. That's living. That's living victoriously through Jesus Christ, and that's what hope really is. It is a living hope. This is good news, is it not? That's good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. Now, remember, at the beginning, I said this would be a good news, bad news situation. So there's all the good news. We'll spend the next hour talking about that. No, I'm joking. Uh, that's the good news, okay? That is the good news. For those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, if you have made the decision to live your life for Jesus Christ and not for self, you have placed your faith and trust in him, then all of this victorious living and hope applies to you. You get the goodie bag with all the hope and not fearing and stuff. That belongs to you. You take that home with you, Jesus said. However, 
if you have not placed your faith and trust in your entire life in him, then none of that applies to you. That's the bad news. Listen, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and I don't mean this intellectual, yeah, I know he's God, I know Jesus is my Savior, but I'm going to live like hell during the week. That's not surrendering. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That's not surrendering. None of this applies to you if that's the case. If you have not surrendered, none of this applies to you. You don't get any of that hope. And it's bad news indeed. That's bad news indeed. Now, please understand me this morning. I'm not saying that the bad news has to stay bad, right? I'm not saying the bad news has to stay bad. Um, but if the opportunity has been presented to you to surrender your life to Jesus and you have not taken advantage of that opportunity, then there is no living hope for you this morning. If the opportunity has been presented to you, if the call has gone out, hey, listen, here's the bad news. Surrender to Jesus and you haven't done it, there's no hope. Again, I say, there is no hope. We look... Look, we looked at the passage a little differently this morning, going from verse 5 backwards to verse 1, and all of the things we read about hope and security and living without fear, all based on this one verse, verse 1. We did this on purpose. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, if you have not been justified by faith, you get no verses 2 through 5. Does that make sense? You get no hope. You get no, 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 no relief from the fear of these things because hope is not fear. You get none of that. You get no living hope. You get no hope that does not disappoint. All you get is everything that disappoints because that's what you get with this world. And so if you have not surrendered to Jesus Christ, it is indeed bad news for you. You don't get any of this. And trust me, I know that there's these preachers out there and these religions that are saying, no, no, all you got to do is, is fill it in your heart. And as long as you come and, and worship with us and, and put the Jesus quotes on your Facebook and, you know, God's going to look through the rest of the stuff and you're going to be okay. That is false. That is false because Christianity in itself is not a feeling. It's not this bandwagon you jump on like when the Cowboys are winning, right? I know who you are. And, and you know, it's not this bandwagon. It's a life change. It is a 180 degree. You were this on Sunday. Now you're this on Monday. You look different because you're no longer dead, but you're alive. You have hope. And that hope doesn't disappoint, and that hope doesn't have fear, and it lasts for eternity. And if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, you don't get any of it. You don't get any of it. Where can someone find hope and security for eternity outside of the person of Jesus Christ? Where? Nowhere. You can't find it. Um, I do a lot of uh, like apologetic stuff, and so I'll talk to like atheists and people of other religions. And I'm having a conversation with this atheist one time, <clears throat> and he's telling me, uh, "Hey, man, I don't see why I have to jump onto what Jesus is if the life I live is pretty good right now." And I said, "Okay." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, you know, I don't cheat on my wife. I'm a good family man. You know, I go to work, I take care of my family." I spend time with my family. I said, okay. I said, well, why do you do all that? 
And he says, well, you know, so that I can raise my kids to do that. I said, okay. I said, and when you die, none of it matters. He said, well, sure it mattered. You know, like, I said, why? <laughs> and he said, well, because. And I was like, no, no, no. If there's nothing waiting for you then when you die, then what does it matter if you did it or you didn't do it? Right? If there's nothing to hope for, for eternity, then who cares? If there's no consequence, if there's no reward, if there's nothing, be who you want to be. Fulfill the most you know, crazy desires you have because if that's the way it really is, it's not going to matter. I could be the best person that I consider myself to be on this earth and then I can match myself to the worst possible person on earth, a child rapist murderer, and if there's nothing waiting for us at the end, then neither of us should have done anything good. And that's my point here, that if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter because at the end, what you're going to receive is judgment from God, and there is a price and a penalty to pay for that judgment. But if you're listening to my voice this morning and you hear about the justification by faith and the hope that God can give you on this side of it, you can say, I I'm going to surrender my life to that. And because I surrendered my life to that, I'm going to receive the hope that doesn't disappoint. I'm going to receive the hope that doesn't fear and the hope that is everlasting forever. That's the gift that God is presenting to you this morning. That was the call right there. And so if, if, if you leave today and that is something that you did not take care of and you die tomorrow, God will say you had the opportunity yesterday and you didn't take advantage of it. That's, that's really, really bad news. So listen, I, I understand for, a, for the majority of us in here, we have surrendered our life to Jesus and we can live in the victory of that hope. And I don't have to worry. I don't have to be blue. Nothing in this life should affect me so deep that I can't continue on because of the hope and the glory that God has given me through Jesus. It's the reason he sent him in the manger. It's the reason he sent him to die for you and for me to take the wrath that we, that we owe. He, he owes us that wrath. God does because we're owed that wrath because we're sinners. But Jesus took the wrath. And so, if it's something that you've never done this morning, I want you to be in that good news category. I want you to be in the good news category that you can have hope in Jesus Christ and that you can have a hope that doesn't disappoint and that has no fear and that is everlasting. Because that's what God wants for your life. God wants you to glorify him and that's the only way you can do it is through his son, Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand Every head bowed. Let's go ahead and close our eyes. If you do this with me for just a moment, the band's going to come up and they're going to sing a song and we're going to open these altars and there's going to be a time for invitation. And I just want to talk to you this morning without the distractions, okay? Without the distractions. So listen, if that's you this morning, if you're in the bad news category, please come talk to somebody today. Listen, Come talk to me. Come talk to Daniel. There's going to be some people standing on the sides. Come ask all the questions you want. 
If you're in the bad news category and you don't get some of this stuff and it doesn't make much sense to you, come talk to us. If anything, we'll answer your questions and you can go. But don't leave here this morning with the opportunity to have received the gift that God is offering you today or without even inquiring about it. Don't leave here today without that. And Christian, you might be sitting here this morning and you say, man, I have all kinds of worry. I have all kinds of, of, of worry and I stress and I don't know, you know, why. Listen, you don't have to live in that anymore. God doesn't want you to worry. God doesn't want you to stress. God wants you to live in the fact of what he has done for you and the hope that comes with that. And so you don't have to live blue. You don't have to live with your head down. We're not in mourning. We're in celebration. What has happened for us through Jesus is exciting. It's great. We get to go and tell other people about that. That's the most exciting part. We get to be used by God. And so this morning, if you're saying, hey, you know what? I am a Christian. I have surrendered my life to Jesus. I do want to live that. Start living it. Start living it. Follow what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, and don't worry. But take today as today and leave tomorrow for what tomorrow brings. And God will give you that hope everlasting that will sustain you for the rest of your days here on this earth. These altars are going to be open. We're going to have an opportunity to do that, to come talk to God, to to repent, to find salvation, to whatever it is you need to do this morning, these altars open. Father, we come before you, God, and we want to thank you for the opportunity this morning that you have given us through Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, that you sent him to be born of a virgin, God, that you sent him to be the hope for all mankind, that you sent him to be Israel's Messiah, that you sent him to be a savior to die for us. We thank you for that gift that you have given us. And I pray this morning for those who want to receive it, God. I pray for those this morning who have not surrendered, God, that you would open their hearts and that you would melt that heart of stone inside of them, Father. I pray for the Christian, God, this morning that we would start living in that victory, God, that we would start living in the hope that you have provided for us so that we can ultimately go and do the things that you have commissioned us to do without fear, God, without disappointment, and with knowing and understanding that it will last that way until our very last days, God. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Thank you so much for listening. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.